0: Hey everyone, it's Jackson, and welcome to the last episode of our first podcast sprint here. When the team at Cabin originally conceived of Campfire, we imagined it as a twelve-episode limited series that profiled ten different dows and was bookended by episodes about Cabin. But as we began production on the back half of our season, it seemed as though there was enough of an appetite from you, our listeners for more episodes and and maybe for even different kinds of episodes beyond our original scope. And we really appreciate all of the positive feedback that we've received from our audience and we're ecstatic that the show's been renewed and we're going to continue beyond these first 12 episodes. So, Thank you all so much for listening. It means a ton to me personally, as well as to the whole team making the show behind the scenes like Colin and Ali, Philippe, Sean, Roxine, so many more. The show's not even remotely possible without their hard work. So we're all appreciative of your continued listenership. So the plan is to continue with Campfire and we will persist with our goal to understand how centralized organizations achieve these wildly ambitious and creative goals but we might also explore topics tangential to Cavan's mission to build a city for independent online creators. And to make that happen, we'll take a small production break after today's episode to game plan our editorial strategy and the operational details for the next batch of episodes. And we'll also reflect on what went well, what we could do better. If you do have any feedback, you can DM it to me on Twitter at Jackson Steger, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-S-T-E-G-E-R. Meanwhile, we still have this episode, and after opening the podcast season with an episode about Cabin's origins, we wanted to revisit the Cabin team four months later because lots has happened. Perhaps most notably, Cabin has significantly increased our number of regular contributors, so rather than just talking to one singular person about all the different things that Cabin is doing, we thought it might be fun to have a party episode where we do a round table with a sample of The many different faces that make up cabin's growing village so the rest of this episode is a series of five to ten minute interviews with a few friendly faces to talk about the projects which we're now calling quests that they're focused on this hopefully provides helpful sampling of all the ways in which our four guilds the placemakers guild the media guild the product guild and the community guild are contributing to cabin's mission But this is not an exhaustive list of guests. We're missing thoughts and love from tons of our MVPs like Phil, Cati, Caden, Matt, Henry, Vargas, Dave, Shadman, Izzy, so many more. Probably there's tons that I haven't even met. But if you'd like to get to know all of these amazing people, as Kat describes in in her segment coming up here, these very wholesome people, just slide into the Cabin Discord and we will help get you situated. If you aren't sure where to find that, just check us out on Twitter at Creator Cabins or by visiting our website at creatorcabins.com. Meanwhile, let's hear first from Kat Dovjenko, a architect, designer, and ex-Googler, about some of the work that she has done to help lead Build Weeks at Cabin, including making a fully functional sauna. Kat D, Kat Dovjenko, welcome to Campfire.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: For listeners who can't see, I'm currently recording this outside an IT closet in a WeWork, and Cat has totally won up to me. She's got these big studio headphones on and in a quiet room, so Cat is audio goals. Welcome to the show. How are you feeling?
1: Really good. I what you don't see is the two U-Haul boxes that my laptop <laughs> is standing on. So makeshift and wonderful. It's going. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Speaking of makeshift and wonderful, want to talk about Build Weeks and everything that you and others have helped to spearhead. So we'll talk about your build week specifically, but before we talk about your build week, I'm wondering, can you give the audience just we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. What is a build week for a cabin?
1: What is a build week for me? What build week was a week where people come together on a physical node on a physical property and they do a project so that project can be kind of anything to do with large build projects so things like a pergola or sauna which were the main focus of the past two build weeks or it can be more of a build week where you're doing a lot of smaller side projects or side quests so For me, it's really for people to come together that are DAO members, that are interested. It's a really easy way to come together. So it's not something where you have to make your own project or you're doing your own thing and you have a huge deliverable at the end. Really, it's all about just building something together. And you also have time to do your own thing. So it's not just a full week of heavy labor.
0: So, love that. Uh, you also happened to be at, at Build Week with one of my best friends and former roommate, Shadman. So, I saw all of those great vibes and, and was very jealous. So, Kat, you have an actual architecture background. And I'd be curious to learn just how you, with your background, how did you wind up in the cabin ecosystem? And then, when you were at Build Week and you're the one with all of this technical know how. How did you project manage folks who, because again, I know Shadman, he's not an architect by trade. How do you work with folks who don't have that same technical expertise, but when you're still using all this like crazy equipment, trenchers and chainsaws?
1: Absolutely. I think the first thing to mention is that while I have a bunch of architecture experience, architects, they don't design buildings, they design the blueprints for the buildings. So what happens is there isn't that many are at least right off the bat from school that actually do physical building projects like it's not something that we do in school we do a lot of software we do a lot of drawing but actually being on site is something that usually happens after someone graduates so in terms of technical expertise that you mentioned a lot of that actually isn't really from architecture it's from be in construction or being in a construction company. And and a lot of the stuff that I was doing while was initially kind of architecture and design, a lot of it on the site, so to speak, was being a foreman. So I think that was something that I had to really learn really quickly. And luckily I had some experience being a foreman, being comfortable with shop equipment, being comfortable with safety procedures and being comfortable with yelling people, but in a very nice way. So to make sure that they're safe, which is really the big reason. And so in terms of technical expertise, A lot of that came afterwards. A lot of my kind of background is architecture, but I also do a lot of tech. And so when I first heard about Cabin, I was actually hearing it really early on, around this time a year ago, which in crypto time is 15, 20 years ago, decades. And basically, it was John Hillis, and he was. I think we were mutual friends or we knew each other and he was really talking about a lot of really interesting ideas with regards to cities and the idea of having this kind of creator residency but also it's a a creator residency that is not just that it's actually a decentral an idea about decentralized cities masquerading as a creator residency And that was really cool. And so I was really interested, obviously, in architecture, you learn a ton about cities and how to build cities. And you also learn how bad cities sometimes are or how hard it is to actually get anything done and understanding that both simultaneously cities hold this ability to do a lot of really interesting things at the local level in terms of governance, but they're also places where there's a lot of really big difficulties so the things that I'm talking about are getting housing built especially in the Bay Area but elsewhere. Long story short I was really interested in the idea of the promise and the idea and the promise of what a city could be if it's done and governed differently and so uh, I also really liked the way that John was thinking thing think about things and uh, it just so happens that he was in the area and so he grabbed uh, a beer or two in an IRL and so He talked about it and I was really excited. And then over the next few months, I got more into it and met Phil and met you and met a bunch of different, very wholesome and kind characters, which I think is very different, perhaps than a lot of DAOs, or maybe it's just very different than what people think what crypto is. Everyone has this kind of misconception. So it was really nice to see very kind um, and thoughtful, but also really efficient and competent people making something. So that's why I got really it. into it and how I slowly got into it and wasn't like a huge jump right off the bat, and also how I got all that technical expertise. So that kind of answers a little bit, but I'm happy to dive into the the top 10 tips for site superintendent yelling or something like that.
0: I would love exactly <laughs> that. I've seen a picture from the week where there was a whiteboard or, or something like that with a bunch of different mm-hmm. sticky notes on it, and so just curious what each different day looked like, how you would structure the days such that it, it could be this balanced build week and, and how you were able to empower people like my friend Shadman to be able to contribute to, to something like this.
1: We were able to have this main project, which I think choosing a main project that was just challenging enough because it wasn't just a sauna. We did a lot of path works. We had to do a lot of um, earthwork, moving things and having a pad to put the sauna on. And I think the the combination of right from the get-go, choosing a project that was doable but also challenge was a good thing. And, and it's not it's not an easy thing to do to figure what that looks like. And then the other thing that we did was we chose a project where we could use the thing in the end. So there was a lot of people that were really just satisfied with their work because they were able to use the sauna at the end. And that last day where we were able to actually use it, it's was really that. great.
0: Thank you so much for joining Campfire and hope we can have you back again soon. I hope as a co-host, but it seems like that might be months or, or years away. I'll keep dreaming though
1: keep dreaming.
0: I'm really excited to see where it goes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Kevin. Kat and I went on to talk about the process of building infrastructure for a decentralized city for another 15, almost 20 minutes. But for the sake of time, we're going to keep this episode moving. For more on Build Week, stay tuned. We talk to Charlie in about 20 minutes from now. Meanwhile, I want to bring on the always wise Roxine Key, who leads Kevin's Media Guild and was a huge part of getting this podcast off the ground. Roxine, welcome to Campfire.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: So, Roxine, I would love to just start by understanding what is the editorial direction of Cabin's media, both written and otherwise?
2: So with Cabin in general, we want to be building a decentralized city in the long term, but in the short term, at least this year, possibly next year as well, it's about being the embassy for DAOs. and. For us, that means, for the Media Guild, that means being the place where DAO operators come to level up their skill set, or for new folks who are trying to build communities, trying to break into Web3, this is where they can get their first bounties, this is where they can learn how to do that um, very tactically. So I guess, editorial standpoint, we have two main series that goes through Um On top of the wonderful podcast, of course, is the How to DAO and the How We DAO series. So How to DAO is very declarative of teaching um, folks how exactly do we do things, for example, conflict resolution, leadership, onboarding. And then How We DAO is more building cabin in public. How do we think about certain things? How have we wrestled with compensation? How have we thought about structuring our guilds, our fellowships, which we can talk about later. So those are the two main things.
0: Awesome. I'm curious... When we think about those two goals for Cabin's media outlet, this idea that we're thought leaders in this space for other DAOs, what are the operations of how you find and cultivate great writers such that we are producing leading thoughts?
2: I think we got lucky there um, because Cabin was very early and did attract some folks who just got into... Web3 at that time earlier on, but now they're actually experts and thought leaders from experience, not just from book knowledge. So we have John and we have Rafa who um, write a lot of our How We Dow content. Rafa writes a lot of our How We Dow content. And it's based on his experience on like working with Cabin and also now working with Mirror. So there's not a lot of cultivation of thought leaders within Cabin, I would say, but people do like our blog, and people do come in and say, "I would like to write for Cabin on this specific topic," and then we give them the tools, give them the editors, give them the designers to go off and do their thing.
0: Awesome. So you have a content marketing background. I'm curious, do you notice any distinctions between a like traditional content marketing shop versus certain advantages that we might have writing in a Web3 world, D- disadvantages too, if, if you notice.
2: Off the bat, I can think of one advantage, one disadvantage. The one advantage is that content marketing writing for Google search algorithms is very competitive. There's already a lot of content marketing agencies who are doing the same tactics, using the same software, trying to get any small edge they can get over the next article, over the next website or competition. But for Web3, There's a lot of, let's say, beginner content of, oh, how do you start with a DAO? But there's not a lot of medium to expert level content. So that's where we're trying to be experts in because that's where the DAO is. That's where we happen to be. As a content marketer for Cabin, if we could call it that way, I'm in a very fortunate position in that there's a lot of topics and a lot of content that only we can write. And because we can differentiate that way, like I don't have to resort to SEO tactics, going through and crawling through Google, seeing how to get an edge. Like Once we write something, as long as the quality is there, people will read it and people will share it. So very lucky that way. One disadvantage from, let's say, a content marketing agency is it's both an advantage and a disadvantage is that right now the Media Guild is both a community and a team of people who would like to work together. So community, it's the vibes are there. Like I love working with people at Cabin, but then when I switch to my work brain, there's a level of skill that's required to produce articles. I've been in content marketing since 2018, 2017 at least. And I've written probably a million words at this point, hundreds of articles for other people. So I've honed that skill, but not a lot of people have done that. Not everyone who is in Cabin has done that. It's hard to say, oh, we're going to decentralize content operations. If not, everyone has the level of skill required. And then some people would need a lot more handholding. But it comes with time. The scale comes with time. As long as they stay in the community, I'm confident that folks will live up to the potential they want to have.
0: Yeah, that's a really thoughtful answer. One one advantage I notice just passively as I record these episodes and then the awesome production team that we have working on this podcast takes them and run is that we have these bounties for people to write threads summarizing podcast episodes or summarizing different writing pieces that we put out and as just a marketing tactic using the token to incentivize that it's it's been a cool advantage for me to see the pod grown and promoted by other people who who aren't even me. I just I see the benefit of that for the purposes of this publication. Cool. Appreciate that answer. As we approach close, I just want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about this announcement we made today. So we're recording this on Wednesday, May 25th. This will come out next week, but still I'm I'm sure a lot of people would be curious to know what is this partnership that we're doing with Mirror and why is it interesting? So
2: this is the Cabin answer to NFTs and NFT utility. And Colin, who is listening to this, is like clapping his hand now, probably, because he's our NFT utility guy. Basically, for the most part, up till now, when people talk about NFTs, they talk about art, they talk about collecting art. But at Cabin, we could do the same thing. But because we have that knowledge that we talked about before, we can actually add utility, educational utility, to the articles that we write. So it's very native to Cabin based on the editorial stuff that we write and also what we can put out there because of the kind of contributors we have. So for the NFTs that we minted today, there's two kinds. Um, the first is five out of five, more limited edition. There's a hundred out of hundred. So those are cheaper, but they're more accessible for folks. Folks who mint the five out of five will attend a workshop from that article run by John, by, Jack, by Zach, by the community guild or by Rafa. And those five folks who mint it will be able to attend live the folks who mint the article, um, the hundred edition of the article, then they'll get the recordings for that. So this is an initial experiment into ways we can use NFTs to add value to folks who mint it beyond just the art. Because the art is really great, but to reach a wider audience and for people to say, okay, this makes financial and business sense. And so that we can also give liquidity to our contributors who do write these articles. We're testing out having these workshops as well.
0: Awesome. It's exciting. One quick rapid fire question to take us out. Of all the articles that we've published, do you have a favorite?
2: It's a pretty esoteric one. It's actually the announcement for our roadmap for 2022. I just think that is a good combination of tactical, okay, this is what we're going to do in 2022, but also very cabin philosophical of what is the strategy? What is the mindset? behind the tactics. And the cool thing about that is we are ahead of the roadmap, which is, we can't really say that for a lot of other roadmaps and other organizations. And it's also something we continue to refer to. So it's not just a static document that we wrote it and we never use it again, but it's something that we continue to refer to in the articles um, that we published after that. Yeah, it's been a great resource for people to understand where Cabin is right now and where Cabin could be heading into the future as well.
0: Awesome. Well, appreciate, Roxine, how you always push us to fulfill one of Cabin's most native values, which is to build in public. So excited to watch you and all of us keep doing that. And thanks for joining the show that you helped us start.
2: Yeah, thank you. And really appreciate all the work that everyone did to put season one of the podcast together. And I'm looking forward to season two.
0: Our next guest, John Dean Kalis, is a real estate agent and investor by trade who co-stewards our community guild and is also helping to lead our Hopes and Dreams initiative within the Blacemakers Guild. Perhaps most importantly, DJ JD curates the music for all of our weekly calls and gatherings. DJ John Dean, welcome to Campfire. How's it going, my friend?
3: It's going great, Jackson. How are you doing today?
0: Like I mentioned before we hit record, pretty sleepy, pretty happy. All things considered, excited to, to have you on a podcast for, for listeners. They should know that you and I are pretty good friends and it's cool to be able to, to have this opportunity to, to collaborate a little bit professionally. want to start with your role. You are one of the co-stewards of our community guild. What does that mean?
3: Yeah, so myself along with Chalice are stewarding the community guild. Here at Cabin, we self-organize in guilds. And the Community Guild is really the cultural backbone of the DAO. We focus on onboarding, and that's certainly a big piece. But we also drive other aspects of the community, like the more larger thematic and programmatic elements of the virtual and in-real-life Cabin experience.
0: You mentioned these programmatic pieces. At Cabin, we, we organize by season, like a fiscal quarter, three months at a time. And this season, you've punctuated the programming with three distinct weeks spread out through throughout the season where there's extra programming on top of some of the regular programming so I guess first you just mention what some of that regular programming is that happens every week and then can you elaborate as to the, the three different special weeks that we've had this season and we'll have
3: yeah for sure of course our guilds meet weekly Different project teams meet weekly. For example, our NFT passports team, they have a weekly call. Our community has weekly calls. So every Monday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, we have our community weekly, which is our weekly strategy and updates call. And then every Friday, we have our community campfire, which is a laid back community gathering. It's a place for community members to hop on close out those tabs, enjoy a nice Friday kickback, and, and not focus too much on productivity. We really are a community of creators, so it's a space where people can share the projects they're working on, things that are exciting them, and just really a nice laid-back call. Because here at Cabin, we definitely like to get shit done, but we definitely are all about the vibes as well. Those are our weekly calls, but we're augmenting our programming over the last few months, which what we're calling balance and focus weeks. And these are our weeks throughout the season where we're just diving a little bit deeper on some of the topics we're excited about. So for example, this season in spring 22, we had our first ever wellness week. We had yoga and meditations and grounding sessions and breathing sessions and workouts. And it was just really great opportunity to rethink how we work, how we live, how we collaborate and, and create together. So that was a really great week. Uh, We also just wrapped up our Future of Work week, where we were rethinking what the traditional five-day work week looks like. We actually condensed the week into just three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was a really awesome week where we celebrated Cabin's first birthday. We also had a really great Twitter Spaces conversation on the future of work and thinking differently. and, And one of the things that excites me most about Cabin is we're looking at the future in a different way than I think most organizations and individuals are operating. We see that the future of work is changing, the future of housing, and just the future of life is changing. And I think that looks a little bit differently. It's less driven by a corporate profits and a more holistic experience where community members feel valued. They feel balanced, grounded. And it was, just, it was a really great week. We started every morning with a meditation. We had an afternoon grounding session every day. So we're thinking on a macro level about what does that look like, but we're also challenging our community members to think differently about what is the perfect day that works for you in today's world. I love that. And then
0: what about Guild Games?
3: Of course. How could I forget Guild Games? Guild Games was something that You and I actually launched together, Jackson, last season, and it was our first iteration of a sort of color war style Olympic games where each of our guilds actually participated in a series of fun competitions throughout the week. Some of these were asynchronous competitions, like a Strava competition where uh, community members got points for walking and running and swimming. Um, And then some of these were more formal programming, like we had our dream neighborhood pitch competition where each guild got to present what they think is a dream neighborhood that we could one day welcome into the cabin network. To no surprise, the Placemakers Guild won that competition. And uh, it was really great because it really challenged us to think outside the box about, you know, if we could start any neighborhood in the world from scratch, what would that neighborhood have? Uh, So we're very excited to bring back Guild Games again for version 2, continue to iterate on more ways we can have fun in the DAO. I
0: love it. So despite all of that stuff that you do and tons of other pieces that we haven't mentioned yet, you also spend some time in the Placemakers Guild. And I want to talk about one initiative that I haven't had much insight to and hoping you can enlighten me, which is what is the Hopes and Dreams initiative?
3: The Hopes and Dreams initiative is really awesome focus of Cabin right now. I wouldn't say it's our main path we're walking down and building our decentralized city, but it's a side trail on our hiking journey. And that side trail is really tackling the question of how do we help our community members take their hopes and dreams of these amazing, unique real estate projects and actually bring them to reality. Every every day we have people reach out saying, Oh, I have this cool space in Mexico or I have this property in Costa Rica or hey, big energy in Portugal. I have a few friends that I want to buy a property with. How do I do that? So we're really we're building a team to think intentionally about what resources can our community provide to help people take their dreams from zero
0: to one. So, I want to talk about your hopes and dreams. And for for the audience, JD is a self-proclaimed real estate and urban planning nerd. We actually met because he was my real estate agent a while ago in Philadelphia. And Given your background in that area, I'm curious if you could design any neighborhood, uh, what would it look like? What are some of the elements that we talk about within Cabin that really inspire you, that get you excited and might contribute to a future property that you help to steward?
3: Wow. Great question, Jackson. It's something I actually lay up at night thinking about scribbling in my journal about what is the property of the future? What do people need? And I think it starts by tackling what are people's basic needs as humans? And I think of those are, of course, water, clean air, shelter, food. But I think they're also community and healthcare and access to nature and spaces, both virtual and physical, where they can be themselves and feel empowered to create projects that you know excite them and change the world. What I think is really awesome about real estate is its power to tackle a lot of the world's really big problems. When we think about income and wealth inequality, when we think about climate change, when we think about resilience plans for increased intense weather patterns and stuff, I really, this property, which I'm calling Neighborhood X or maybe Neighborhood 99999 or Neighborhood 999 for short, is this idea that what is a a blueprint of a neighborhood or, or unique real estate project that can change the world? And how do we actually replicate that in different locals around the world? And for me, I think it starts with a building called The Hub, which is a building centered on a maybe five to 10 acre property, immersed in nature, absolutely beautiful. And The Hub is a co-living multi-use facility that can sleep maybe 20 to 30 people. You can think of it like a bed and breakfast meets co-living. And then on the ground floor, there's a cafe, market, and industrial communal kitchen that folks can use and we can also use for events. So that's a centerpiece of the property. But of course, scattered around the property are tiny cabins or tiny houses that are immersed in their own little sections of the property. Of course, people need good food. And I think we need to grow food where people are living. So I've been fascinated by urban agriculture. But when we think about a more rural property like this one, that's of course near a major city and an international airport. We want to be growing fresh food. I think using practices related to permaculture and polyculture systems and regenerative agriculture to regenerate soil and actually create its own sort of microclimate on this property and create almost a food forest around the hub. Uh, Of course, also like an herb garden nearby as well in your first zone around the property. But we definitely got to have some chickens. I think it's always good to have a couple goats on hand as well. So I would like to have Uh, some of those on the property. But also I think in addition to this hub, this main building, there's also another building that's an event space. So picture a 250 person sort of live venue where you could have concerts, weddings, big things. I'm picturing garage doors opening up a stage in it. But of course, we need something that people can come to do. So my latest thought is, how about a boutique bowling alley in this building, where people could come and bowl. It's a disco theme bowling alley, and then if we're having a big event, we can just lay some floor down on the bowling lanes and turn that into a like dining area. Of course, we're going to need some music studios. We're going to need some recording recording equipment in there. I think it's good to have a barber shop as well, maybe one to two seats. And yeah, it's just a really unique multi-use property. All the tiny houses will share a common bathhouse, which could be more of a spa experience. And really this property is is the property for the future. So we're gonna need access to fresh water. Of course, we're gonna have uh, solar on the property. I would actually like to double down and actually create a larger solar array and actually have this be almost a modern day rest stop for folks that wanna come and maybe rest for the night charge their electric vehicles from our solar array. Maybe we offer classes for the community to come and learn how to operate your own solar grid and really just a place where people can come and and stay for short term. They can rent out the whole property. They can live for months. They can do work, live, trade. And of course, you're probably looking for a shorter answer, so I'll stop talking (laughs) now. But as you can tell, I'm very excited by the possibility of rethinking these unique and impactful real estate projects
0: love the imagination the creativity the scope I, I think that shines through in your vision for this property but also in the poetry that you write for our community campfires and the music that you curate for all of our weekly calls so appreciate you for everything that you do and thanks for coming on the show john dean
3: thank you jackson it's great to chat and i, I look forward to maybe coming back on one day for a future episode
0: you just heard from three of cabin's newer contributors in cat roxine and jd now we'll bring back one of Cabin's founders, John Hillis, who listeners will remember from the first episode, to share updates on new governance models and a new neighborhood strategy. John, welcome back to Campfire.
4: Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jackson.
0: So we're recording this the week of Cabin's one-year birthday, and in the last 365 days, we've hosted creator residencies, operator retreats, build weeks, and and so much more all at Neighborhood Zero, which for a while was the first and only node in our network. But that has since changed. And I believe that we've added a node or two and have a plan in place to start expanding the number of neighborhoods in Cavan's network. So could you share updates on the expanding scale of Cavanhood's network of neighborhoods?
4: Absolutely. Like you mentioned, I live out here at Neighborhood Zero, which is where it all started a year ago, sitting around the campfire just outside of this cabin that I'm in. We've expanded, and I think this is a growth process that any successful DAO will go through, which is essentially that DAOs, I don't think, can survive as monolithic entities. And I think that any DAO that scales necessarily has to become a constellation of smaller organizations in order to continue to effectively operate and self-govern. And we're going through that process. And one way that we're going through that process is by adding more neighborhoods to our decentralized city. So as you mentioned, we've added a couple recently over the past few weeks. We've expanded from our original location here at Neighborhood Zero to Montaya Base Camp in the eastern Sierras of California, as well as Radical Living Community in Oakland. And we have about a dozen other potential neighborhoods that are in the pipeline that we've been talking with and exploring possibilities with. And we want to grow slowly and we want to grow intentionally, but we do want to build our decentralized city all over the world. And so we want to continue to add these autonomous local units to the network.
0: Awesome. So super exciting. I personally can't wait to, to try to get out to Montaya and check out the Sierra Nevadas. I'm curious a little bit about the mechanics of this pipeline. So let's imagine for a second that I own 50 acres of land in Wyoming, and I wanted to see if it could become a node in the cabin network. I guess two-parter here, what would the process look like for me as this landowner, which for clarity's sake, I have no such land. But what would it look like if I wanted to push this land through Cabin's neighborhood verification process or or whatever we're calling it? And what is the value that I might be able to benefit from the Cabin network?
4: So right now, because we're still operating with just a handful of these neighborhoods. We're trying to be very intentional about curating and selecting neighborhoods that we think are really values and vibe aligned with the cabin community. And so uh, cabin via a, a snapshot vote recently delegated new neighborhood decisions to a New Neighborhoods Council, which is a, a group of people within the DAO who have been having these conversations with lots of potential neighborhoods and ultimately curating that group and deciding on the first neighborhoods. That said, over time, we expect that process to become more decentralized through a progressive decentralization process, just like anything we do in the DAO. And ultimately, we think that it will become a protocol. And we think that our list of neighborhoods will be a sort of curated registry that will be voted on by DAO members in some form. There's a lot of different types of neighborhoods And we've talked with everyone from what we would call hopes and dreams neighborhoods, which is people that are really excited about this mission and about this idea of building from scratch, but may not actually have land yet or have found all of their community members yet. We're also talking with folks that have fully developed existing projects that have a very similar ethos to Cabin, like Montaya Basecamp, which has been running their own creator residency program for many years. And we're trying to figure out how we can best support neighborhoods across that entire spectrum and make sure that these first neighborhoods that we're bringing on are really great examples of the values that Cabin stands for, and that we are also setting ourselves up to have more decentralized processes for bringing larger sets of neighborhoods on into the future.
0: Great. And just to close out this section on new neighborhoods, and then I have one more question for you about governance and quests if someone is interested in visiting one of our newer neighborhoods or other neighborhoods that might be added in the future, what's the best next step for them to take after listening to this podcast?
4: So we are developing what we are calling billboards, which are essentially a list of ways that you can get involved with your local neighborhood. And the idea here is that a neighborhood stakes cabin our token in order to be a part of our network. And then as a result, they can create this billboard that allows them to provide different types of ways for the community to engage, which could be things like coming out for creator residency programs or build weeks or maybe even just swinging by for a stay at neighborhood zero on our billboard, for instance. One of the benefits for very large holders of the cabin token is that they can just come crash at at Lauren and my house. So we want these to be reciprocal opportunities opportunities that are across the cabin network for for members of the community. And we want each neighborhood to have the autonomy and independence to decide exactly what those look like. Awesome. So you
0: mentioned in the description of the new neighborhood selection process that it has been decentralized to a specific neighborhood council, which is awesome. I want to talk about governance uh, more broadly at Cabin. And for our audience, could you detail how you've been thinking about changing governance structures, just observing the community over, say, the last three months? And what are some new process changes a la quests that we are instituting for seasons moving forward?
4: So what we've realized as we've looked back at the past few seasons of Cabin is that each season we've taken a unique approach to governance. And so if you think about our first season, the DAO was born out of this creator residency program that was really designed, the token was designed to be a governance token for deciding which creators got to come out and be a part of the program. When we moved into our second season, we evolved the governance structure and the purpose of the token to have a wider range of purposes and to focus on this idea of manifesting roles and voting on contributor roles across the DAO. And in our next season, which is the current season, we evolved again to have the governance process be designed around guilds and around this sort of bottom-up budget proposal process via guilds. And I think the key here is that we have the principle. Let me take a step back. And I think the principle here is that we want to have governance processes that minimize the number of rules and focus on developing Norms over time and evolving our governance structure over time in ways that continue to allow us to scale and operate more effectively as a community. So, right now, for this next season, we are about to put up a meta governance proposal to change how we do governance once again. And for this next season, what that looks like is a structure by which we formalize the role of the city council which will set objectives and budget allocations for the season and then allow anyone within the DAO to form a fellowship, propose a quest in order to help contribute to accomplishing those objectives.
0: Awesome. Can't wait to see all of it. Thanks for joining around this virtual campfire. I can't wait till I'm back around your physical campfire sometime soon.
4: Great to be here with you, Jackson, and looking forward to being together IRL soon.
0: To those of you who are waiting to hear more about Build Week's Wait No More, here is engineer Charlie Frys on how he led a Build Week for designing a pergola, as well as details about a larger, exciting project that he has planned for the fall. Charlie Frys, welcome to Campfire.
5: Thanks for having me, Jackson. I'm so excited.
0: So right before we pressed record, you were telling me about what you might be getting up to at the cabins come this September. So... We'll talk about build weeks in a second, but we've already had a little context from Kat. I would love to hear what you're hoping to do at the cabins in September and and how you think it is aligned with cabins' interests.
5: Sweet. Okay, yeah. So come September to December, I'm going to be staying at neighborhood zero, whether that is in the actual cabin or in a tent so that we can keep the cabin open for occupancy. We'll see. I'm good with either. But basically, I'm going to be staying at node zero and I'm going to be expanding its housing capacity. So I'm going to be building two shed rooms, which we're also calling shrooms right now. And those are exactly how, how they sound, which is just a shed that's been turned into a room. So also known as an additional dwelling unit, an ADU. And then alongside that, a bathhouse. Currently right now, the only way to use the washroom at Neighborhood Zero is to go in through somebody's room. Uh, so you gotta ask permission and stuff. So if you're just visiting publicly, we need a, a public bath or a, yeah, a public washroom. But then also for those shed rooms, they're not gonna have their own washroom. So like they're gonna be using that public bathhouse. So
0: the fact that you have a rich engineering background, I think, is super clutch for the cabin community and for those exact purposes of coming and and building things. Those ADUs, those sound really obvious shelter-oriented components to the property at Neighborhood Zero. But I want to talk a little bit about how in cabin, in addition to the buildings and the infrastructure that we have, we also have kind of these less essential structures that are still really fun. And it's like the result of the internet building a city. So going back a few months now, could you talk about when you came to the cabins, what you were building and how you project managed that whole week?
5: Yeah, this is all the way back in April, I believe. I flew out to Texas. I'm from Toronto. So I'd never been there before and met with six or seven other people in the internet who I also haven't met in person before. And then we all... Down together and built a pergola, which is on top of like a patio with a fireplace in the middle. So we, we were shooting pretty high, but then we, we got it done in great time. We worked so hard. And it, it was really amazing to see what happened when a bunch of strangers on the internet came together around a common goal. And it was so fun to lead too, because this was Cabin's first build week. This was something that we were experimenting with. And I was given my background in architectural engineering. And then I also have a company that designs and builds backyard offices. I felt that I was ready for the challenge. And so to prepare for it, basically there was some discussion with the community. Hey, at Neighborhood Zero, like, what is it that we wanna build during this build week? And we identified a, a pergola and one with a campfire because we wanted to build something that was very communal. Currently, before that build week, there was just a cabin itself. And so if you wanted to hang out with everybody else, it would be in the living room or on the deck or something like that. But obviously every property needs a good fire pit if you wanna be bonding with people around the fire. And so we felt that was essential. And so we started going with the pergola. And so then I was thinking like, okay, I have to assume these people have no construction experience and I have to make sure everyone's on the same page because with with my experience, I've hired some buddies to help me out when I needed it. And I've hired a few contractors but never managed a team that big. So that was definitely throwing myself into the deep end. But basically I prepared a plan set that tried to detail every single joint, every single cut and everything. And then I also wrote all the steps from when we first started until the very last screw on how this would go down. And every morning and every crucial step, basically, I'd I'd basically take a step back and then just identify where we are now, what needs to happen next, just to try and make sure everyone was on the same page. And uh, a lot of people really surprised me. They are like, everyone was such hard workers and it turned out so well.
0: I'm jealous because I was at the cabins, I think, a week or two weeks right before you all came and built it. So, uh, of course, as soon as I left, it's when it all got put together. I, I think it's funny that, like, after we built the pergola, the next thing that Cat that came and, and led was building a sauna. And I think about some of the things I want to build. I would love to have a basketball court or I would love to have a a creative studio where we could have a full green screen and sound acoustics and lights and just a great place for creators to really like make some awesome stuff but everyone has their own agenda. I'm like basketball obsessed and I like to make stuff, so it makes sense that those are the things I want to build and everyone has different things that they want to do for not just neighborhood 0 but other properties going forward. And and I think that the build weeks are these really cool representations of the emergent nature of cabin as one of the leading builders within the organization. I don't know. How do you react to that? What do you think are the advantages of leaning on an emergent build strategy? How might an internet community be able to build a city in a way that like serves us best?
5: Yeah, I, I'm totally with you there. I'm super for it and I'm super excited for it because organic growth of a in, in neighborhood like Neighborhood Zero or really any of Cabin's properties that will slowly evolve with more build weeks and community involvement is going to result in some amazing properties with very diverse architecture and all sorts of things to do. I I think it's so cool because I came in and then built a pergola, but then Kat came in and built a sauna. Maybe that would have been like the fourth thing that I did or something like that. I don't know, but basically it's just like having these different perspectives where people pull from their own unique background and their own unique skill set and strengths to deliver what they feel, again, based on their own experience, this property needs. I think it's going to result in properties that g- grow much like cities, which is, I guess, what we're trying to do. And uh, because everyone's going to have their own fingerprint on, on these properties. And I just think it will result in, in much cooler places than uh, if you just had one like mastermind, let's call it, try and lead the whole project, because that's only you know, that's only one perspective. Whereas this, you're taking advantage of that hive mind. Love it. So
0: we call it Cabin for shorthand, but the full Twitter handle is is Creator Cabins. And we we have our roots in creating things and and shipping content. And one of the things that I'm really excited about when you go out in September and and stay there is that you're going to be documenting that. So could you talk a little bit about what the vision is for the video element of your build projects in the fall?
5: Yeah, totally. I'm so excited for this part. Like I was saying earlier, September to December, my time at Cabin, I'm going to be documenting that entire construction experience. And I think it's going to result in a really cool show because the setup is just so unique. I'm going to be building some really cool stuff in the middle of like nowhere, Texas. And there's going to be random internet people coming in and out every week. There's two cows wandering around. I'm just so excited. I think it's gonna be great. And I can't wait to find every week, creative ways to involve the community as they come and visit Neighborhood Zero.
0: Awesome. I can't wait, Charlie. I really, like for the audience members, Charlie has his own YouTube channel, which we'll link in the show notes. And he documented last Build Week. I thought it was a super fun video. Like Charlie, in addition to his engineering chops is an entertaining, engaging host. So excited to see. More of your stuff shipped in the fall.
5: Thanks, Jackson. You too.
0: All right, take it easy. Next up is one of my faves, Chalice Stroby, who co-stewards our community guild with JD and who also leads the majority of our in-person gatherings. Chalice and I became fast friends after she facilitated our first DAO operators retreat, and I was blown away by her ability to hold space, keep everyone level headed and keep events organized. She's amazing. Love this section chalice chally che welcome to campfire how are you doing today
6: i am doing well jackson thank you for having me here at the campfire love to be fireside with you
0: yes we met fireside first we met at an airport but we we were around a fire later that night chalice you are the hostess with the mostest here at cabin you hosted a dow operator retreat that i went to you've hosted a number of other in real life and virtual events for the cabin community and so i want to talk about some of those things today starting with dow camp could you for the audience explain the what the when the who the where the why of dow camp and just talk about that week and what you walked away learning
6: yeah so dow camp began before i even was a part of cabin or in the mix and i hopped in on this team who were psyched to bring people together in real life who had been co-creating things online together and had been created these bonds and these friendships and really wanted to take that to the next level within this kind of in real life space. This is when I started in on the project and we decided to meet in Texas at a place called Camp Champions which is a summer camp typically for kids, but we kind of took the reins this weekend or the weekend we were there for Bow Camp. And it was about 60 or so people from all walks of both geographical locations, but also backgrounds within the Web3 ecosystem. And some of them knew each other. Some of most of them probably didn't know each other. But again, it was a space for people to meet and connect in real life who had been co-creating online. And it was three days, it was hot, it was also 100 degrees every day. And so there was no shame in putting on sunscreen and no shame in telling your friend to drink water or asking if they were staying hydrated. And it was mostly just a lot of fun and a chance for people to create more context in their relationships, what they were creating online, and then a frame of reference for them to just build from as things develop in the world and in Web3.
0: As the Dow's resident albino, I will, I will say that there's never any shame in asking your friends yeah, for some sunscreen. We had plenty of
6: sunscreen, but
0: I'm glad it makes it more inviting for for someone like me. I want to talk, given all of the heat and and the elements of nature upon you. I assume you were you're gathering indoors for much of the day, and and what were you doing? What give us a few examples of some of the sessions that were happening at Dow
6: Camp? Plot twist: we were actually only indoors for maybe a quarter of the day, and that was at the heart of it was taking people out of the elements that they were used to, and so all these people have created really great reputations and just identities online, and it brought us back to this kind of like fundamental thing that humans can't escape is this physical presence in our bodies. So we all had to kind of deal with these elements, the heat, the dryness, being tired from traveling from who knows where, and just bonding in those moments. And there was beautiful facilitation by a group of people, David Ehrlichman, Zach Anderson, John Hillis, Julie Lipton, and I, and Ben Hinman all got together and planned this thing and a lot of it was why are we here what are we working towards and what do we need to do to work towards this kind of greater vision to have this impact that we want to have on the world that we're all co co coexisting and co-creating
0: so chalice i hear there was a lazy river at dow camp and i hear between the lazy river and the slides that there was a lot of of play and can you talk about the importance of play in this space and and in work more broadly why is it important for us to play Mm. together
6: i think play is often an overlooked aspect of the work that we do and both personal work but also professional work and play as i see it offers this opportunity to fail and that it lessens this identity that you have to find or not that you find but that you experience within that failure that was something that the camp facilitators, camp counselors, we call them, lean hard into like creating space for failure and it not to be a defining moment, but also an impactful moment that can help define the future. And so play was a wonderful aspect in that because it shifted people's mindset to be able to be like, oh, this is for fun. And when things are for fun, aka play, then you're more likely and more open to The outcomes and the various forms that they take. Mm
0: -hmm. That's awesome. (laughs) Again, jealous that I wasn't there.
6: We did, for the record, we did fail at the Lazy River, technically, because we, one, didn't get the whirlpool that we were trying to achieve and this first notion Mm -hmm. of it but i think we ultimately won we failed but we won because of just the pure joy that was riddled through camp everybody was so happy
0: i'm glad (laughs) you were happy i I also feel like you told me that just to further put salt in the wound that i wasn't there (laughs) what was the point of that you had so much fun without i think you would have (laughs)
6: added to the fun for the
0: record thanks chalice i would have brought my sunscreen too so to take us out then You've hosted Dow Camp, you've hosted now multiple retreats, you've helped train other hosts, you are just proving that you're quite excellent at holding space. And I'm curious, how does holding space change between online Zoom or Discord meetings and in real life? What's fundamentally different about the skill set of hosting or just the vibe more generally?
6: I think hosting can happen and does happen both online and in person. And I think the main difference that I notice with in person versus online is this kind of like physical presence that doesn't always translate via screen or kind of text. And so I think when you're hosting, you're mostly gathering people. And when you're gathering people, you're facilitating the space for connection to happen and a collective thought to emerge. And when you can do that in person, i think of it as there's a presence in the space that's not all obvious and so it's like room for spontaneity and that tends to happen more frequently in person rather than online
0: oh yeah thanks for everything you do chalice thanks for joining the show yeah
6: yeah thanks for having me jackson
0: zach is our product guild lead and facilitator of the guilds who also joined us in the first episode of this podcast he comes back to share updates on the software stack powering our decentralized city, as well as how the cabin token is gaining utility, even in this bear market. Zach, welcome back to Campfire. It's been a minute.
7: It has. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really excited to be back here.
0: So want to talk about two things with you today. First, just on the product side. So last time we had you on, we were very much talking about the origin story of Cabin and vision and and mission and stuff like that. Part of your role, though, is leading our product guild. And I was wondering if you could just give the audience a sense of what that means, what the different products are, and where they are in terms of timeline to being released.
7: Okay, our product guild is where we build the infrastructure, digital infrastructure for the DAO that we're building and the decentralized city that we're building. We've got a couple of product initiatives. We've got one, which we're calling Project Aspen. That is a code name because it's not, it's a R&D initiative. It's not necessarily a product that we're building, but we're trying to figure out what the product is gonna look like. And that's really trying to backfill the work that Phil and Chalice are doing in the Placemakers Guild around neighborhood expansion with tools and eventually a protocol on chain that makes all of that stuff not just possible, but easy and and easy to facilitate. So that's one of our big ones. The other one is Blaze, which is this sort of online community forum, Hacker News for DAOs style uh, thing where people can post links and and talk about them. And that team has done a really great job of building out that project and exploring where where it's gonna go next. And then our last project, which is gonna be released tomorrow for us when we're recording this but a week in the past for the people listening to this is a passport or product called passports which uh, is an nft tool for reputation recognition contributor recognition on-chain reputation and a bunch of stuff like that using nfts in this simple sort of mechanism and i, I think we're going to dive into a little bit more about that
0: yeah, let's do it. How if I am a member of the cabin community, and there's a lot of different ways that I could be a member of the cabin community? How will I interact with the passport product?
7: Yeah, so the first interaction you're going to have with the passport product in a future state is going to be when you become a member. You'll attend an onboarding call with uh, Jackson or or with you, with uh, JD, and you'll go and mint an NFT, which we call a stamp which is gonna be the first stamp that you'll get in your cabin passport, which recognizes that you're a member of this broader community, right? Like everybody who holds this NFT is gonna be a member of the broader community. Within that, everybody who holds this NFT has the ability to send other NFTs to people who are in the community. And it lets us do this permissionless, ad hoc recognition of contribution. All of this started because we wanted to find a way to tap into more intrinsic motivation uh, of what people were doing and to recognize things that didn't necessarily have a financial value attached to them. If somebody names one of our cows, this is one of my favorite examples. It's like somebody proposes the name that ends up winning the contest for one of the longhorn cattle that's out on the ranch right now, where it's like, kind of a bummer to then be like, cool, here's 10 bucks, thanks, right? It's the same sort of psychology around this famous study that we've talked about a bunch in Cabin around if you ask your friends to help you move and you buy them a box of chocolates, they're going to be like, oh, wow, thank you. That's really nice. I feel really special. Versus if you give them $10, even though it's the same financial value, they're going to be like, hey, like, what the heck? Like this. Is-. So stamps are a way to do that. We can send somebody a stamp for naming one of our cows. We can also send somebody a stamp for becoming a member of the product guild or the community guild or some other sub unit. It within the DAO that they're contributing to. And so it opens up this whole spectrum that we as a community get to play with around the things that we value and, and recognizing the contributions that people are making.
0: And real quick, because I'm sure the audience's ears are dying to know the answer to this, what did we wind up naming our cows? <laughs> Not
7: Flex and Commodore, which, which were the, my <laughs> suggestions. No, we named them CAO, C-A-O, which is a, I actually can't remember what it stands for, but something so. Autonomous so- Organism. Centralized
0: Centralized. Autonomous Organism.
7: There you go, that's what it is. Centralized Autonomous Organism, so CAO, C-A-O. And then the other one is Vitalik Mutarin or V for short. That one's good. So
0: back to passports for a second. I, I see all of these like real, really cool use cases, right? If I go to a build week at the cabin, I could get a stamp in my passport for having done so. If I go to a creator residency at a forthcoming neighborhood in Portugal, then I could have that queued in. And so one analogy that I've found really helpful in thinking about how our passports might uh, wind up looking is the jackets that Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or or even military officers might don. Why is that a helpful analogy?
7: Yeah, so the pitch deck for Passports is literally one slide that has these, this is I think what you're referring to, right? Pictures of a bunch of Boy Scouts, a bunch of Girl Scouts, me as a 16-year-old punk, a bunch of like military people, and then Hell's Angels, right? The biker We were All of this we backed into. We started off with this idea of intrinsic motivation and got to this idea of recognition and then realized that the things that were down downstream of that we're going to be contribution and reputation and tenure and all these other things that we're trying to quantify in, in various different ways. So this is a system that already exists. This is how groups have already solved this problem. If you want to become a member of a Hells Angels, I, I don't know what the process is because I'm not in a biker gang, but there's some sort of onboarding process effectively, at which, at the end of which, they give you a jacket that has a Hells Angels patch on the back. I know this because it's in the pictures, I, I, but like I said, I'm not in a biker gang. That's the same with Boy Scouts, and it's the same with Girl Scouts, and it's the same with the military. They give you this thing that has your first patch on it, and that patch represents membership in the entire group. And then oftentimes it often comes with, for for really big groups, comes with additional patches that represent membership in different subgroups, right? In the Boy Scouts, you're a member of the Boy Scouts and you're a member of your troop. My troop was Troop 32 growing up. And so you have patches to represent that. As you contribute to the organization, as you attend different things in the organization or, or pick up different skills that are valuable to the organization, you get patches that represent those things. And so, for instance, if you're a member of Hells Angels, you go on these rides every year where you bike, you ride your motorcycle from... I don't know, up and down California or something. And it's this yearly thing that the gang does together every year. And every year there's a new patch. And everybody who attends gets a patch to recognize that they went. I'm surprised that really, you're laughing. I realize I know a lot about Hells Angels here. Even yeah, we've got to have consistent. them on the I'm podcast of, <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm sure they all have a lot of things to say about communities and DAOs and decentralized organizations. But... You get these patches that represent a ride each year, and then when you're looking at somebody, you can see, oh, they've attended eight rides. That means they've been a member of, a like, valuable contributor to this organization for eight years. So it's this patch that on its own is just some felt, right? But the meaning of it is derived and applied by the organization, by the community itself. And, and in this particular case, you get things like reputation, you get contribution, and you get tenure, which are otherwise very hard things to represent. And so like a big... What Passports is effectively trying to accomplish is take that idea of these patches. Another example is stickers on your water bottle or stickers on your laptop. And like take that idea that we're already doing as a, as a group of people or that communities are already doing all over the place and bring that on chain and just like implement that in a way for communities that are that are DAOs like us that are on chain.
0: Awesome. And then re- real quick, because I've got another question I want to ask you too, but there's like a physical component to our passport product, right? Could you just detail that in its current state?
7: Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, we're handing out these passport cards, which is a chip-embedded card with the form factor of a credit card. So it's about It fits in your wallet. It's about the size of a credit card. And it has a wallet on it. And so what you can do, we can do, is when you become a member of Cabin, for instance, you have this profile that's holding all of your stamps. And it'll have your Cabin Down member stamp. It'll have your Community Guild member stamp. It'll have your Build Week. Uh, stamp, it'll have your DAO camp stamp, etc. And all of these are not only attached to your wallet, the one that you use in MetaBask to navigate the internet as it is, they'll also be on this physical card that you can that you'll eventually be able to order or that we'll send to you. And for instance, we can do a couple of things, both digitally and in, in the real world, that are really cool. One of which is let's say we're hosting a, we're hosting a build week and we need somebody to actually run it. Let's like Token gate that in some way to people who've attended a build week before, or people who've attended maybe three build weeks. Now we can look up who has three build week stamps. And let's like, okay, those are the people who we're gonna pull from in order to, to host. Or if you're gonna apply to be a host, we're gonna look for at least three build week stamps so that you've participated in at least three build weeks. Similarly, let's host a party at NFT NYC, which is a conference that's coming up. Membership means or attendance means coming to the party, means that you are a member of Cabin. So you've got that cabin member card, uh, stamp on your card and so we'll scan that and if you're a member you can come in. Or that you have bought a ticket. And so if you're a member of Cabin, you can come in for free. If you're not a member of Cabin, we're just asking you to buy a ticket and then you can come in. And it's a way for us to token gate actual real world stuff by scanning this card.
0: It's awesome. Cool. Yeah. So love the utility coming out of the Passports project and want to keep the conversation on utility. So one thing that I think Cabin has done a really good job of in respect to other crypto projects out there is that we maintain focus on the mission of building a decentralized city for independent online creators without an obsession over price. That being said, as we've started to grow, we have also acknowledged that we need for our token to have increased utility for our members. Can you detail the different ways in which we're thinking about how the cabin token can gain utility with each passing day?
7: Yeah, absolutely. So we're thinking about this across the DAO. Every guild, every person on the city council is thinking about this and thinking about ways to contribute to the utility of our token. Right now, it's primarily governance and membership. So you hold the token, that makes you a member of the DAO. That means that you can vote on proposals that go up to the DAO. We've got two really big ones coming up, one on quests, one on guilds. In order to vote on those, you'll need to hold cabin which makes you a member. And then each token uh, gives you a vote. That's like our, my, my first token utility, right? That's like level. As a community, in order to build this thing and have it be something that is self-sustaining, we've got to add a bunch of like uses for that token, for CAV and the token itself. The biggest windfall here is going to come when we finalize what we're now calling Aspen or neighborhood expansion. This idea of the central protocol where somebody can pitch their property, to become a neighborhood, get it accepted, et cetera. Whatever that central piece ends up looking like of neighborhoods on one side and people using those neighborhoods on the other, right? That's where the majority of the token utility is gonna come from. And so that's gonna be the biggest sort of push in terms of utility to the token. There's a bunch of other stuff that we can do in the meantime though, right? We just passed a proposal to expand the basic membership from one cabin to 10. So that adds a bunch of utility. now you have to hold at least 10 cabin in order to be a full member that gives you access to all of our bounties and, and everything, being able to vote, everything else within the, within the DAO. Another one is this guild structure that we're talking about, right? If you're a software engineer and you wanna be in a community of other software engineers working in Web3, you can join our engineering guild. This is hypothetical, but you can join our engineering guild and doing so requires, let's say, right, also hypothetical, but staking 10 cabin into a smart contract that gives you this NFT stamp in your passport to call it back, that makes you part of the engineering guild or the host's guild or the builder's guild or, or whatever it ends up being. And so we've got all these different ways in which we're experimenting with ways of adding to, add, adding utility to the token, really like things that you all need it to use it for.
0: Awesome. Zach, thanks so much for coming back to Campfire. We'll have to do this again, but I think I'll need to get you a Hell's Angels jacket for, ah. uh, for when we gather next time and appreciate everything you do.
7: Absolutely. For the next time, let me know or remind me and I'll dig out my jean jacket from when I was a punk. That's also covered in patches, which is some of the inspiration for a lot of the thinking there.
0: (laughs) Finally, a veteran from traditional finance and CFOing, Todd brings us to a close by detailing how behind the scenes, he helps deal with our finances to keep the trains run on time and make sure all of our contributors get paid. He also facilitates the mechanics of progressively decentralizing the DAO, which several different guests we've had on this season have underscored the importance of. Todd, welcome to Campfire.
8: You yeah, here? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. So i'd I'd love to get just how you think about what your role is within the DAO. I, I know it is pertaining to. Our finances, but how do you perceive your role and where is Cabin today as it pertains to the finances and accounting of our organization?
8: When I got involved last year, it was around tax time when the required documentation that the government makes everyone submit was around the corner. And while blockchains benefit from the transparency of having everything posted to Etherscan and anyone could go in and pull data from that, it's not in the most usable format. And so I came in and I took all that information down and try to turn it into financial statements that you would see more for the traditional corporate accounting. And in doing that, one of the big challenges that all these are send receive functions and you can't really tell, you can see how much went, but you have no idea what it's going for. And so it took a lot of time to get up to speed with Zach and actually individually tag all these transactions and where they went to. And I think one of their, meaning Zach and Jonathan and the Dow generally, one of the goals that has always been expressed is, to make everything more transparent to all the down members. And so ideally, as we move forward to even get the data into a usable format, that was step one and I think we're there now. And now we have, as you saw in the great event that was hosted for the last season launch where we had some more detailed guild level financials i think the goal is to get that on a more recurrent basis so we can see how we're tracking the budget and see what the burn rate and all these statistics are that everyone would like to see and make that so it's something that's visible to everyone and usable and i think there's some other things we'd like to do too but yeah that's been where we've gotten to today that's been the challenge
0: got it got it yeah i love the idea of a live dashboard i think that Tons of organizations, not just DAOs, would benefit from that kind of transparency and, and real-time updates. So it's cool to know that's a present slash future state goal. I, I, I do want to keep the conversation in this future-oriented mindset because I know that one of the goals of Cavin is to start progressively decentralizing the DAO. And I'm curious, your operational involvement is that? like How are you helping to facilitate the goals and what is the the purpose of that progressive decentralization, especially through financial lens?
8: I always go to the what happens if somebody gets hit by a bus uh, use case. And right now there's still a lot of work that's done at the meta level or even at the council level. And so it's ideally like a lot of this stuff would be able to function on its own. The challenge is that When you're first building out these standing operating procedures to build the current system that we have that does the financial analysis, you have to build it off of what we're currently using. And I think the end goal is, as you said, to push that more down to the guild. Everything can be done, quests, bounties at that level where it's closer to the people who are actually performing and authorizing that work anyway. And so ideally, we'll get to that state. But as that happens, another big challenge is the gas fees that you have to pay for all these bounties and stuff like that, which are pretty high under Ethereum blockchain. And so we've been looking at level twos as well. But as you move towards that decentralized thing, and maybe that looks like multi-sigs for each different guild where they have their own authority to do payments within their budget that's approved for the year and stuff like that. As we move towards that, and as we move towards the layer twos, Everything that we've already built for the financial statements and stuff like that is now going to be changed and it's going to be split up from one wallet to multiple wallets. And so the challenge is actually implementing that stuff and keeping the rest of the analysis that you're trying to do as well up to speed. That's a lot of balls to juggle, but I think hopefully this season, it's still been a bit of a learning curve getting up to speed with everything, but that's the goal is to uh, get that stuff implemented.
0: That's super helpful. Thanks. I bet there are folks in the audience because we, we haven't really talked about this yet on the show yet who, who would be curious to know what exactly a multi sig is and, and how does it work? Could you explain that to a five-year-old?
8: I will explain it like I am a five-year-old in terms of understanding because that's probably where I am relative to some of your audience. But the multisig is just if you're an organization and you only have one person that can authorize all the treasury to be sent somewhere. It obviously creates a lot of key man risk if that person has a bad day or just whatever happens. So the multi-sig is that there's multiple, I think we have three, but you can set it up with as many as you want, where there's authorized people that can permit payments to go out from the wallet. And we have it set up where two people on the multi sig contract need to authorize payments to go out. So one person submits it, the other person checks it over to make sure there's no errors. And that's pretty standard. Most like corporate organizations as well, where there's some sort of dual authentication, but that's the blockchain version of it.
0: Super helpful. Thanks for my last question. Just want to just wanna talk more vibes. So my understanding is you have a more traditional finance background. And I'm curious, as you've made this pretty recent transition into Web3, what strikes you just about the culture and the day-to-day that is like so different? What are the biggest differences that you know?
8: I would say that I'm so impressed by how this DAO is run and the people that are involved in it. I think centralization, and you're coming from like corporate America, It's this. What is what exactly does that mean? And... The more exposure I get to this, the community side or Zach on product is an absolute stud rock scene on media. Everyone just marches to their own beat each week working on these projects and ideas and then comes back together for the weekly sync up and relative to corporate America where you have so many meetings that are maybe not the most useful use of time, but it's just the way things always work. It's a really refreshing environment to be working and where everyone is so self-sufficient, but also getting so much done and such impressive things as well. And so I think I'm just really still amazed by how this thing, the vision that has been just formed by a group of people that are working loosely together like this and where it's headed and how everyone executes on that it's really amazing to see and i think structurally jonathan does a great job and some of his like long thought pieces and the writings that he does and helping to tie it all together for me so really exciting organization and i'm really excited about what you guys are all building and working on and the vibes that you guys bring in the community too
0: awesome cool thanks so much for joining todd All right, that was everyone. If you liked this party episode style, let us know and we'll do more of them. Otherwise, we'll stick to our regular format of one to two guests for a bit longer. We'll be back soon with more episodes. Everybody has a great week.